0: Welcome to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C., the academic entrepreneur. Some of the most successful stories in business started from failure, sometimes even multiple failures. The guests on our program have faced failure, learned to understand it, and have used it to their advantage. You can, too. Get ready for success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Cheryl Lentz.
1: Welcome back, everyone. My name is Dr. Cheryl Lentz, and you're listening to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C. I am so excited to talk with some of the folks that I have for you. Our questions of the day are this. Have you ever thought about publishing a book? Have you ever thought about becoming a doctoral scholar? What about both? Today I have two amazing authors and business folks with us as well as doctoral scholars who just happen to be contributing scholars to Amazon's latest number one best-selling book, The Refractive Thinker, Volume 14, Healthcare, the Impact on Leadership, Business, and Education. The book just went bestseller on Thursday and just hit number one this morning. So this is timing. It's fantastic that we're going and doing this segment. This is amazing. The guests that we have today will be Dr. Ada Crosby and Dr. Ivan Salvarius. The perspective of both of these scholars is going to be very, very unique. And this is what the focus of our program is, is to be able to look at the opportunities that we have, to look at things that go well, things that don't, and what we do in between. The idea of failure is not to have something that's going to be something that's permanent. Ideally, it's, as we've talked about in the past, the process of elimination, the what's a better way forward, what did we learn from everything that we've taken away, and specifically as a doctoral scholar, as a professional researcher, we're not stuck in the idea of finding something in particular. Our philosophy has to be to be prepared for all possible answers. For example, as a doctoral scholar myself, I'm actually one of these rare people you'll meet who proved what's known as a oh, it's a null hypothesis. We'll, we'll call it that as the academic speak that says, "I found nothing, not a zip and zero. Now, the challenge with that is, is that meant that we found another way how not to build a light bulb. Now, initially, I will tell you, I was in panic mode. I remember calling my, my mentor, Dr. Elmer, and he's like, Cheryl, have I taught you nothing? As a scholar, we're prepared for all possible answers. It doesn't matter if we're right or wrong. Either way, it's valuable information. You just found a way not to go forward. And it was very strange because we were replicating a study from MIT. So the failure wasn't really a failure at all. It was simply a, huh, we asked a question, and the answers we anticipated didn't come. That didn't mean the answers were necessarily right or wrong. The answers are just the answers. And so the idea of failure was very early in my doctoral career, thinking that wasn't my point, because all of my colleagues were finding amazing things and discovering this and that, and, and I found absolutely zero, not a kiss, the big wazoo, right? And so this was the point of learning about how to process failure, which is exactly what we're trying to do here. As we're trying to learn it, what is failure and how can we embrace it? How can we learn from it? In this case, it really wasn't failure at all. The only failure was in my mind was an expectation saying I had to find something. And so this area of publishing is simply the ability to share with the world what we have found. These results, these amazing things that are going to help other people either do something or maybe not do something. And herein lies the challenge when we use that F word and that label, is the inability to be able to really understand what that means and to process it. Because for any type of research, we really simply want to ask the question, does it work or doesn't it? And this way, if it does work, we go this way. And if it doesn't work, we go that way. And as a business owner, it's very important because we're going to want to invest our money in things that work and things that work well. And things that don't work, we will move along and try something else. But that's not something how many people think about those things. And that's where we want to be able to look at talking to our two scholars and business owners and best-selling authors today is to be able to get their perspective specifically on research, on business, and the things that they learned from their results and their findings. Because that's really one of the goals of the Refractive Thinker series, is that many of us get stuck in academia because many of these dissertations are written with a very specific format in mind, um, very regimented, very academic (pun intended). And so, when you're looking at some of these, the length of these can be amazing. I have students that have you know s- studies that could be upwards of five, six, seven hundred pages. And that's very challenging for a non-scholar or just a layperson and sometimes even us as scholars to get through all of those pages because there's an awful lot of process and format and methodology and and ways of doing things. What we want to do with the Refractive Thinker is part of this series that we will hear from Dr. Ivan and Dr. Ada here very shortly is the ability to look at how do we condense that into a chapter, which is what the anthology format is about, to have a focus on writing with a marketing hat instead of an academic hat. The real goal is what do business owners learn from the research these amazing scholars and business owners and consultants are doing so that we can learn from what they have found, whether they found something or they found nothing. It's still an ability to learn and the ability to embrace the idea of, well, one way goes this way and one way goes that way. One of my favorite sayings comes from Alice in Wonderland and the iconic version of the Cheshire Cat. And if you know, when Alice in Wonderland comes to the fork in the road, she asks the cat, which way do I go? And the Cheshire Cat comes back, as if you don't know where you're going, any path will do. Now, that is an amazing opportunity for we as scholars that we have an idea of where we might go. And we're going to go ask the question to see if we're right or wrong. And either way is valuable to know whether we're going to go left or right. And so this is where I want you to embrace when you're looking at academic research, because I know a lot of it gets stuck in academia, and a lot of it is the rolling the eyeballs, and it's very complex, and it's very sophisticated, and it's very formulaic, and we're going to reduce that here, and we're going to look at what was the problem? Why did we do this research to begin with? What was the question that we were asking so that we could have the ability of what we were expecting to find or not, either way? But I know many scholars, when they're looking at that, they are out to solve world hunger. They are out to prove the world. And the answer is we're not. We're simply asking a question to see if we're right or wrong. Or we're fishing, which is what qualitative research does. And we're just going to just put our pole in the water and start just asking questions. I remember a wonderful teacher that I had during my doctoral program. And it was so amazing when he said, if you ask the right questions, the answers will come. And so it's not in looking for the answers, it's in looking for the questions. And therein lies the lessons behind failure, is that it's not permanent, it's not meant to be a, oh my gosh, I failed, I'm awful, I'm wearing a scarlet letter, it's going to be awful for me going forward in some kind of a stigma. It's simply the way something is, either we're right, we're wrong, either we know something, we don't know something, and we move forward, and we take that Cheshire Cat, that road, Either the one less traveled, because it just doesn't have a lot of information yet, and we're going to be a pioneer, or we know the answers and we're going to go right and we're going to do some more research on well-traveled areas. Either way, I want to know that we have a path forward. We have an understanding of how we're going to ask these questions so that we can, in search of the answers that will be most appropriate for what we're trying to search for, but not to be dissuaded from information that might surprise us. I always tell my students, in the event that you find something that surprises you, that means you were a true researcher because you were prepared for all possible answers and something caught your attention you weren't expecting. That's what we researchers do, is we look at these going and things that come back, you're like, huh, didn't quite see that one coming, wasn't quite expecting that little a fork in the road, and so this is why we scholars have the ability to look at positioning ourselves as the experts in our field so we can help and guide the research forward. We want to be able to simply help with specific guidelines, with specific methodologies and designs and protocols that we know how to be able to go. But our goal isn't to manage expectations of what those answers might be. We're simply in search of them. And so here's where our scholars, when we come back from break, we're going to have the ability to talk with two of these amazing researchers to look at the research they have because the topic we're talking about in this particular book happens to be healthcare. Now, that's a big topic, particularly with things that have changed forever the face of healthcare and forever the Amazing landscape that's going forward because we're always evolving. We're always moving forward. We're always having an opportunity that's going to Challenge us Offer us things that make you go hmm Things that maybe the answers will help make somebody's life a little better That will help interpret the findings so that we can help others find a more productive way forward so that's what we are going to talk about here and look a little bit specifically when it comes on the impacts that this information will have. The impacts that are on leadership, on business, on education and the landscape of healthcare in general. We have two researchers, very different research they've conducted. Uh, We're going to talk with Dr. Ada when we come back on break to have the ability to look at her chapter in particular, which was Chapter 3 of this book in there. I want to read this title to you so you'll get an idea of what we'll be expecting when we come back from break in there. But the title of hers will be on, uh, let's see, lived experiences from nine HIV positive of African and women that contributed to their HIV seroconversion and their insights for HIV prevention. So I want you to look back at the ideas. We're going to look specifically at the research that she found in the area of HIV positive uh, participants. This is not an area that has had a lot of discovery and race. Remember, it was very popular for a long period of time, and then it has, hasn't resurfaced for a while. So it's good that we're going to have some information to be able to look at what are the benefits of this research? What can we offer? as an opportunity to see the different possibilities that might allow us the opportunity to go forward in just a little bit different direction. So when we come back, again, we want to talk to the number one best-selling Amazon authors just recently of the Refractive Thinker, Volume 14, Healthcare, The Impact on Leadership, Business, and Education. And the two authors we'll be talking to again will be Dr. Ada Crosby, Dr. Ivan Salabarius, and they'll give us their perspective on how doctoral research is going to shape the landscape of healthcare going forward. But I want you to listen with a very keen eye and very keen ears to be able to understand some of the really intricate opportunities they're going to be offering us with regard to success and failure. This will give us the idea that road less taken. The ability to look at, well, what did we find? What surprised us? What do we want to continue to build on? To continue to look at the answers and to consider additional research that's worthy of being conducted. Because research is not something that lives in a vacuum. Research is something that we're going to look at contributing and building on the ability to take it one step forward. I'm a big football fan, so I like being able to put it on the next yard line and take it the next time. So we're going to keep adding and contributing. So we're building to that aggregate body of knowledge going forward. So when we come back from break, I want you to be able to look at some of these amazing lessons and take some notes, help us shape the conversation so we'll have the ability to ask some amazing questions. You'll stay tuned. We have some messages for you. We'll be right back after this. Dr. C.
2: us on Twitter at VoiceAmerica TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice america TRN.
0: Congratulations on obtaining your doctorate degree and your first university faculty position. Well done. The university expects you to publish and you don't know where to begin contact the refractive thinker team the premier academic publishing house where discriminating scholars publish with purpose to learn more about the 16-time award-winning series just for doctoral scholars contact dr cheryl lintz at 702-719-9214 or visit the website refractivethinker.com that's refractivethinker.com Are you a graduate or doctoral student pursuing your master's or doctorate degree? Do you continue to struggle with your writing to meet university expectations? Hire an award-winning editing and coaching team to help you earn that degree faster. We provide individualized programs to meet your unique needs. Graduation awaits. Call us to make your appointment today. The first call is free. Contact Dr. Cheryl Lentz at 702-719-9214 Or at RefractiveThinker.com. That's RefractiveThinker.com.
3: There are two types of leaders in business. Those who are nice, compassionate people. And frankly, they are the people who fail to get a lot done. Then there are those who can get everything done and so much more. But they are greedy, unethical, and self-centered. The Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with Kathy Fairbanks finds a way to use the best of both types of leaders to help you create a dynamic roadmap to success. Tune in every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business.
0: tuned in to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. To reach Dr. C or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl Lentz at gmail.com. Now, back to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. Here's Dr. C.
1: And welcome back. We are live talking with Dr. Ada Crosby from the number one bestseller, Amazon, recently, The Refractive Thinker, Volume 14, Healthcare, The Impact on Leadership, Business, and Education. Welcome, Dr. Crosby. How are you? I am doing great. Thanks for asking. How are you? We are thrilled to have you, my friends. Let, let's our guest get a little bit to know you here, and I'm going to read a little bit about your bio, and you can kind of fill in the holes for us. Dr. Crosby was born and educated in Mississippi and later broke a little family tradition by not attending a HBCU, but instead attending the University of Southern Mississippi, where she earned two accredited degrees, a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and a Master's of Arts in Clinical Psychology. She served in the U.S. Air Force, thank you so much for your military service, and later was one of few women who worked for Martin Marietta as a training instructor on the now-defunct Pershing II missile at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. I want to focus now on your mental health background, so tell us the rest of your bio that's important for us to set the stage for the refractive thinker and your contribution here in healthcare.
4: Well, thank you so much for introducing me. I worked 25 years in Florida Department of Corrections, at a mail facility with all levels of security, meaning that we housed everyone except death row inmates. And I just happened to be at a place where there was a lot of HIV research. And because HIV is so stigmatized, a lot of my fellow workers did not want to set up support groups or get involved at all. So I found myself just more or less in the realm of doing all sorts of things, HIV education, prevention, classes, support groups, and all of this set me up for later to do the research that I did with the women. And I can all look at it this way, Dr. Lance. I was initially introduced to the males who were usually the ones who infected the females because 87% of African American females... Serial convert or they get their disease rather HIV from their male sexual partners. So I thought that was interesting to say. Um, and I felt compelled to do that because I felt that the women did not know a lot of the things that I knew while I was working inside of a prison.
1: Well, we've talked about many times that knowledge is power. And it isn't interesting. I want you to tell us more that why there has to be a crisis before we even think that intervention would be even possible, particularly around HIV. Why does it take us to those extremes before that gives us the attention and the impetus to begin?
4: That's a great question, because I still don't have an answer completely for it. I just think generally as a society we all condition to handle crisis and, and we do it pretty well however when the crisis becomes at the cost of lives it's not so good it's not and it probably means that we did not get all the symptoms all the signs that were in place to let us know there was a crisis in the first place in the first place that was veering so I feel strongly that It's not a great idea, even though we seem to do well in crisis situations. I'm just a lover of prevention, especially, again, when we see all the signs and symptoms that something really bad is on the horizon.
1: So how do we change this mindset of being able to look at things before the really ugly stuff gets here and the really bad? I mean, there have been, I mean, millions of people have died from HIV. Why did it have to take to that point before we stepped in to change that shift of doing something not only to deal with the crisis, as you said, but to actually think about preventing it so that it wouldn't happen?
4: There are probably many answers to that question, too, Dr. Lance. I feel strongly that we all should be in the role of doing something when we first get the idea that there is a problem. As I was encountered with all the males inside the prison who were getting out eventually, about 80% of people who go to prison usually get out, and they usually return to their wives and girlfriends and what have you, and they start a life over. Not often will they tell them that they're HIV positive. Of the nine women, we knew two were infected by partners who had served long sentences in prison and this again bothered me so I was more or less in a position to want to know why a disease that is basically 85% to 100% preventable why was it still becoming such a hard thing for African American female that continues to top the list and being 60% of all women who contract HIV. That's a big number, 60%. And that has been going on since the early 90s. And, And to me, again, that's just unacceptable. If you know something, you should certainly do something about it. So I wanted to yell about it. And I did this through the research that I did by getting together women who wanted to tell their stories And I just have to take a sideline right now, and thank you, Dr. Lance, for giving me the opportunity to publish in our now number one Amazon bestseller, Retractive Thinker, Volume 14. I am really proud of that fact, because um, if I can just sideline back to failures, um, I try very hard to publish and peer-review journals. And I did not find a lot of acceptance for that. And I think, as I look back, that failure helped me. And it really, truly catapulted me to continue to look for ways to publish. Because, as you said earlier, we need to produce the information so that our audience, which is society, can receive. And I think in academia, we do not do that well with peer review journals. I'm not here to put peer review journals down. I'm just here to say my role was to get out what I had discovered in the research to the population because that's truly what we want to improve. We want to find ways that we can improve society. And as you always say, knowledge is power. So I just feel strongly that you presented this medium for lots of us scholars to do that. And I'm just so beholden to you for doing that. And, And please continue.
1: Thank you very much. We appreciate it. That is the mission of the Refractive Thinker is to get that research out of academia and into the hands of people who can actually use this. Because what is research if it sits in a book and it sits on a shelf and we spend years and years and years? I mean, there are folks that, you know, between four and seven years and longer to be able to produce this research. And our whole mission, our passion is to be able to change the world and to have that 85% number that is still a preventable, how many people that could be alive today if they simply knew about some of the things that you were telling us about, just saddens my heart a little bit going, why can't we get this information into the hands of people who can need it so that we can shift that world and to change the paradigm and, and make it so that it's, 15% that is the number and not the 85% and to keep lowering that number to make a shift. So as we finish the last moments of our segment here, let's look at that idea of what can be learned from this failure. What have you taken from your research that you can give us the pointers of what do we know now, what do we do now so we can start changing that number in the positive?
4: We need to let organizations and businesses who are in the business of health care and helping those. We we first need to shift the paradigm to prevention because doing my research, I found that most of the information and most of the push is for treatment. And I encountered some uh, individual attacks because when people uh, would find out what my study was about, when I was looking for, first of all, study participants, I went to clinics and they did not want to post my invitation for study participants because they were in the business of treatment. And I actually had a nurse to tell me, I don't think we can help you. So we need to shift that paradigm to other areas such as behavioral reasons because in order to transmit HIV, a behavioral has to be done. You have to have sex with an infected person. But I learned very quickly that the focus is on treatment. So if you don't have a treatment modality, more or less, some drugs, um, prevention is not really looked at a lot. And and that's a shame because, again, lives could be saved, especially the quality of life. The women that were in my research study, they did not have a great quality of life because they were bound to take medications that had to keep them alive. But for those that are not infected, their push was to get the information that they had to give. And I felt really in such a good position to do that. And that's why I kind of take on the burden, more or less, to get this out. And I'm still trying other ways to, to get the information out because I feel that, again, the paradigm has to shift away from treatment and shift to modalities of prevention to get into the schools, for instance, we need to start early. We need to start talking about these things in schools. Most schools in the U.S., I was surprised to find out, do not even have sex education. And they blame it on the parents, and then the parents blame it on the administrators. But we need to take action there. We need to teach our children about relationships. What a healthy relationships? You own your body. That's what the women kept saying, I own my body, but I gave the choice of of getting involved with individuals that I didn't even know their HIV status to make decisions on whether or not we should initiate a sexual relationship. And that is pivotal because you don't have to be in a sexual relationship unless until you're ready and not because you feel like it's just, okay, I want to hold on to this particular person in my life and if that's the case most of the women in group would say run because that should not be a condition of being in a relationship with anybody because if they truly care about you they're going to care about your body they're going to care about your own personal decisions
1: that's amazing in there and as we bring this segment to a close how can people still get in touch with you after this so they can continue the conversation
4: Oh please follow me on Facebook. I'm always posting all sorts of information. Um, I'm also Lincoln. and uh, I hope you can also post that for the listeners. and I'm just open to anyone that would like to have dialogue about this because we truly need to talk
1: about it as much as possible. And again, I absolutely just have to thank you for this opportunity. Thank you so very much. Listeners, we've been talking to Dr. Ada Crosby. We'll be right back with these messages, and we'll talk with Dr. Ivan Salabarius. Thank you so very much, Ada. We appreciate you joining us. And thank you so very much for having me.
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Congratulations on obtaining your doctorate degree and your first university faculty position. Well done. The university expects you to publish and you don't know where to begin. Contact the Refractive Thinker Team, the premier academic publishing house, where discriminating scholars publish with purpose. To learn more about the 16-time award-winning series just for doctoral scholars, contact Dr. Cheryl Lintz at 702-719-9214 or visit the website refractivethinker.com. That's refractivethinker.com.
3: There are two types of leaders in business. Those who are nice, compassionate people. And frankly, they are the people who fail to get a lot done. Then there are those who can get everything done and so much more. But they are greedy, unethical, and self-centered. The Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with Kathy Fairbanks finds a way to use the best of both types of leaders to help you create a dynamic roadmap to success. Tune in every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business.
0: Are you a graduate or doctoral student pursuing your master's or doctorate degree? Do you continue to struggle with your writing to meet university expectations? Hire an award-winning editing and coaching team to help you earn that degree faster. We provide individualized programs to meet your unique needs. Graduation awaits. Call us to make your appointment today. The first call is free. Contact Dr. Cheryl Lentz at 702-719-9214 or at refractivethinker.com. That's refractivethinker.com. tuned in to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. To reach Dr. C or her guest today, please call one 472 5790 That's one 472 5790 Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl Lentz at gmail.com. Now, back to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. Here's Dr. C.
1: And welcome back, everybody. We are now going to introduce you to our second guest for the day, Dr. Ivan Salabarius. Dr. Ivan is an amazing scholar that I have been uh, familiar with for many years to be able to offer both a doctoral scholar, both a consultant and business owner. And here he is to tell us a little bit about himself and let our listeners get to know you. So welcome, Dr. Ivan. And congratulations on being, again, number one bestseller on Amazon for the book. It's fantastic news.
5: Well, thank you very much. It's very good feeling to have a book out that uh, is doing so well so soon. Um I think the content is uh very interesting, and the readers will have a good read at it
1: So tell us a little bit about your background. You have quite an interesting one
5: yes, of course um i was i grew up in the state of Delaware uh in the capital of Dover um I went into the uh, military in nineteen 89, uh, U.S. Navy, and I got out in uh, 93.
1: Thank you for your military service, Air Force and Navy today. I love it.
5: (laughs) You're welcome. And uh, when I got out, I still didn't have a higher education, so I went in and went into a tech school and uh, did some electronics work um, after I got out of a two year degree in uh, DeVry. And um, that's how I got into the telecommunications industry. Um, in 1999 and um, from there I grew as a professional um, and a contractor and um, and got very interested in business at that point and I took my education a lot more seriously and um, achieved my uh, bachelor's and my master's and eventually my doctorate in business um, and at the same time all while running my business um, so I've, I've acquired a lot of experience over the years both uh, academically and uh, professionally.
1: Fantastic. Well, your company, who is a sponsor, uh, happens to be Aim Technical Consultants. Tell us a little bit about the company, and then I wanted to dig into some of the lessons because you have a lot of business experience that our listeners can benefit from. So, tell us about the company, and then tell us about some of those interesting stories you have to share about failure.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, um, started the company as I became a contractor in 1999. Um, It first started out as doing uh, just basic field technical services, and it evolved into a project management firm and an overall business uh, consulting firm here in 2018. Most of our core competencies are uh, professional-level services in either staffing, uh, supplying uh, technical resources, project management, and also business planning in the uh, telecommunications space. Those are some of the highlights of what we've managed to do over 18 years. Um, and um, and still this year, we, we seem to be having a stronger year uh, in telecommunications as well.
1: Fantastic. Congratulations. So, tell us about those not-so-good times that helped get you to this point, because you have some interesting stories, particularly about um, growing a business. Do I recall that story?
5: <laughs> yes. Actually, I do. So. Um, we we had um, early on we've achieved very little success and then it seemed like overnight and four years into running a business we had more business and we knew what to do with and thinking that you know business is just as simple as you know uh, you know buying low and selling high and just putting one foot in front of the other and everything happens you know we just moved forward with our head down uh, took our opportunities for granted and thinking that growth just happens. Well, we, we it doesn't happen that way. It's very it's much more of a science to it. Uh, you have to have your eyes on the ball. Uh, you have to have a, your head on the swivel and, and not being able to pay attention to, you know, the blind spots of, you know, the, the external forces and drivers of, you know, business and your industry and your competitors and things like that. Uh, we, we had no idea at the time. Uh, we managed to grow a business to about a gross of twelve million in revenue, but our capture was so low that we still couldn't achieve bank financing. Um, but we had a lot of transactions in a year. So it was an odd mix of success where you you've had your best year, but your your performance was abysmal, if you will. Um, you know there are there are smaller companies. Who had nowhere near the stress of trying to grow their business that had a larger capture and and achieve more success um, compared to comparative to what we were able to do, so that was a, a big fail for us. you know we, we managed to get a lot of money in the door, but we, we didn't manage to keep a lot of it, and that was probably the most critical um, failure I think I've had overall to uh, cash to flow is king.
1: Business. Many businesses will tell you that you've got to have, it's not a matter of financing, it's a matter of keeping that budget flowing in there. And you had some interesting things with government mandated compliance, which is a big interest of you as well.
5: Yes. And uh, that is what I write about in this uh, edition of the Refractive Thinker of how um, the Affordable Care Act uh, affects small business. And I wanted to write this uh, particular uh Chapter and contribute my thoughts and research uh on on this topic, because as a small business owner, you know no one really saw the uh we, we couldn't see the the uh impacts coming from the the law being passed for uh, affordable health care and and initially until we got around to reading the 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 two inch thick um, law and proposal. We didn't understand how it was going to affect us going forward. Well, it, it had a long-term impact of, of financial impact of just requiring small businesses to be compliant to the, with the ACA. And I think a lot of small business owners were left uh, trying to solve these issues as a result. And our business was no different, um, and we had to pretty much start from scratch and in this chapter I give a some some tips and pointers and ideas of small business owners of what they can do to survive not only just just having to be compliant with affordable care um, but also any government mandate that may come out of the blue uh, and impact their business and their uh, continuity
1: and what do you think your success has been from some of these failures in there? What has been the secret sauce that's made all the difference in your business?
5: Oh, that's a good question. I think the success that I've, I now have a, a, a broader, a better understanding of the importance of developing leadership in, in my own company, um, being a small business owner and um, and failing at, at growing a business uh, despite all the opportunities to uh, uh or grow revenue. Um, I didn't have enough leadership. I didn't have enough talking or thinkers in my business that could help me solve the problems at the time. Uh, we, we probably could have seen these, prob- these issues on the horizon and navigated around them uh, more successfully. Um, also, to, to what, what we learned as a result is to have a working strategic plan. Um, that is probably the life's blood of what you do as a business, and I don't mean operationally. I mean, you know, the day to day when we wake up as business small business owners is w- what next? What, what what's around the corner? You know, what's our what's ahead of us for five years? And as a small business owner, you know, not having the formal business experience, um, you you need to know what is coming down the pipe for you other than how can I increase uh, my revenue capture. So strategically, um, having a working strategic plan um, helps you navigate and understand what your typical SWOT analysis may look like on a, on a quarterly basis at the very least, um, how, how your management uh, structure looks and, and that you have the right people in place to not only just grow your business, but move the wheels. You have to be able to move the wheels on this thing. So you don't, you know, most people look at businesses as planting your feet and just growing. Um, you have to, you have to look at it as more or less navigating waters and moving from one spot to another, like a fisher, like a fishing boat, to increase your capture, to go where there's there's more for you to harvest. So that is. You know the successes that I've been able to gain, and then now that we're we have some success, um, you know some uh, other opportunities on the horizon for us. I'm very confident about achieving you know, about pursuing these opportunities. Now that I know how to navigate better from a management aspect as well.
1: We ever have the boy? Do I wish I knew then what I know now to be able to have gone back and maybe achieve things a little bit differently, a little bit sooner.
5: Yes. Um, I I started out, um, as a business owner, I got that, um, that what we call the Messiah complex, where as soon as we started earning money, I thought I can fix all our problems in any, any of my friends and family's problems by giving them a job, helping them out with money, typical, you know, human, human nature stuff. And, uh, that ended up, uh, uh, resulting into losing friends and, 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 um, and family members, you know, alienated family members. And what I did learn is, you know, rather than throwing money at an issue, just solve a problem on its face, you know, just take it and solve it. And, you know, without having to throw, you know, whatever money you have at it, because it just masks the real issue. And so I've learned to, as a result um, to, you know, as a success from my failures is build a leaner and more efficient infrastructure. Um, that, didn't, that didn't consist of, you know, hiring family and hiring friends, but more or less, you know, hiring people who can do their jobs, um, you know, by being able to write a better job description, understand, define their job roles better, put it in writing, you know, uh, put the incentives together, the goals and the highlights of their uh, particular um, job description and managing them to the goals, um, that also ties into the bigger strategic plan.
1: Well, as we bring this to a close, we need to quickly indicate how you're going to have people that can contact you, as well as to tell us what's next on the horizon.
5: Yeah, sure. So I'm accessible on social media. I have a pretty good uh, profile set up on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and also Twitter. I, I tweet a lot. Um, I enjoy tweeting and getting involved in discussions. Um, I'm also um, also available on my website. Uh, you can send me an email on my company website at aimtechnical.com. Um, I read the inbound emails um, at least twice a week. And um, what's next on the horizon, um, I am working. With a phenomenal publisher, uh, trying to release two projects next year. Um, one is one book is more of an ex- expansion of the uh, of the chapter, uh, the contributing chapter for this edition of the Refractive Thinker uh, about um, Affordable Care Act and the impact of business. I felt the need to dive deeper and and expand on my thoughts um, and and give more of a a better view for small business owners, who I think are the audience uh, for this particular book, to understand more how to um, how to navigate their business around government mandated compliances. Also, a second book that um, that helps build on my knowledge of of the lessons I've learned from the failures that turned into successes of you know using um, better you know more efficient help. Uh, using some offshoring assistance, things like that, being able to manage people remotely uh, like our employees that we allow to work remotely from home. You know, there is a uh, management um, Skill that comes with that because you have to you, you have to manage competencies and skills and, and personalities and not necessarily people in person. So that's always been a very interesting thing. And I think it's going to only get bigger. And I'm, I'm happy to be a part of that as well.
1: Outstanding. Well, listeners, it's been a fabulous afternoon talking with Dr. Ivan Salivarius. We wish you the best of luck on your upcoming books, and congratulations on the latest number one best-selling book in there. Uh, We will be right back, listeners, with just a quick break in there. Dr. Ivan, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon, I hope. Thank you, too.
2: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America trn
0: Congratulations on obtaining your doctorate degree and your first university faculty position. Well done. The university expects you to publish, and you don't know where to begin contact the refractive thinker team the premier academic publishing house where discriminating scholars publish with purpose to learn more about the 16-time award-winning series just for doctoral scholars contact dr cheryl lintz at 702-719-9214 or visit the website refractivethinker.com that's refractivethinker.com Are you a graduate or doctoral student pursuing your master's or doctorate degree? Do you continue to struggle with your writing to meet university expectations? Hire an award-winning editing and coaching team to help you earn that degree faster. We provide individualized programs to meet your unique needs. Graduation awaits. Call us to make your appointment today. The first call is free. Contact Dr. Cheryl Lentz at 702-719-9214 or at RefractiveThinker.com. That's RefractiveThinker.com.
3: There are two types of leaders in business. Those who are nice, compassionate people. And frankly, they are the people who fail to get a lot done. Then there are those who can get everything done and so much more. But they are greedy, unethical, and self-centered. The Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with Kathy Fairbanks finds a way to use the best of both types of leaders to help you create a dynamic roadmap to success. Tune in every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business.
0: you are tuned in to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. To reach Dr. C. or her guest today, please call 1 472 5790. That's 1 472 5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl Lentz at gmail.com. Now, back to Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. Here's Dr. C.
1: And welcome back, everyone. It has been a fabulous time with our wonderful guests that we had today. We wanted to thank Dr. Ada Crosby and Dr. Ivan Salabarius. They have some wonderful lessons from us to look from failure. From Dr. Ada, the idea of prevention rather than treatment. Isn't that interesting? The business of healthcare, of the focus on some of the experience she had that the healthcare practitioners are more interested in treating the patient than trying to prevent the treatment of patients. Very interesting. And then we look at the lessons from Dr. Ivan and we're looking at the idea and the importance of leadership and efficiency and infrastructure and not always thinking that money is going to solve all the problems and how much have we known about that, particularly in education, that some of the most richest districts in the country don't have as much as some of the poorest districts where money isn't the answer. A lot of this comes from passion and caring and the ability to look at people and what they can contribute. And I think it was amazing that Dr. Ada in particular is looking at a group that has fallen out of favor. I mean, HIV was such the big converse, you know conversation for so long, and she's still in the fight. She still wants to get her research out there and still talk to folks and, and get that education that's out there for a topic that is all but not as popular as it once was and not the flavor of the month as as it may have been because the crisis, the fact that we're still at 85% just is amazing. And with Dr. Ivan, we're looking at the ability of what is the business of education? What is the business of running your business? And the idea of trying to find a way to make the balance make sense. When you're looking at what did we learn from Obamacare? What did we learn from how it restructured businesses? What did it learn from small businesses just struggling to survive? That education is amazing, and that's part of what we as doctoral scholars do. The responsibility of the doctoral scholar is not just to do the research, but to share the research, and I know that's a passion for many of us who sometimes struggle when we're looking at the, now that we spent, I spent four years, three months earning mine. I've had a few students who've learned earned this in far less which is amazing, uh, but you're looking at the amount of investment in time. It still remains the question forefront of my mind. If not you, then who? If not now, then when? And both Dr. Ivan and Dr. Ader asking that question of going, we don't have time to wait when people are dying with HIV still today, years and decades after all of the popularity of the disease. It's still happening and the fact that people are more interested, seeming, and in treating the patient than preventing new ones is is still a revelation that 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 weighs heavy on me. The idea I know what it's like to be a small business owner, and to Dr. Ivan and I have talked at length for looking at the idea of leadership and the idea of efficiency and the idea of having plans and strategies. I struggled with my own business because I had some backwards things, of assumptions I made that didn't come to fruition. And you have a choice. Either you're flexible and you're adaptable and you're willing to be able to look at what is possible or what is right. And therein lies the challenge that I had on many occasions is being able to look at, well, do I want to still have a company? And the biggest shift that I had in my business was shifting the focus. And this was coming from a business coach is the ability is not being, putting out what I wanted to put out in the world, but being a solution to someone else's problem. And that's exactly what Dr. Ada and Dr. Ivan are being, is looking at, well, what problems are we here to solve? What am I here to fix? What can I move the conversation forward in order to continue that passion and continue that service and continue that ability to look at, how do we continue to survive and balance? Because without customers, you don't have a business. Without business, you don't have customers. That chicken or the egg scenario. And so I want to be able to go back to this idea of asking these questions for the answers will then come. The question becomes, are we asking the right questions? Is there the focus that we're meaning that has to shift a little bit? sounds like education in the HIV world is still the major thing that would be a major A significant influence in how to be able to shape the conversation, shift the conversation from treatment to prevention, from cause and symptoms to perhaps moving forward in another direction where these drugs might not even be necessary. I remember, for example... I started a nonprofit group, Siberian Husky Rescue of New Mexico, back in 1998. Um, Steve Estep runs the group and has for the last oh, about 15 years now. For me, since I moved quite a bit, the idea was I want to start this business, I want to start this nonprofit, so that I can be out of work in five to 10 years. My point was to obsolesce the need for having rescue in the beginning, in the, in the whole purpose. And so the idea, that's the whole point of Dr. Ada as well, is it's not to perpetuate the illness, it's to solve it, it's to fix it, it's to keep people alive so that the drugs are not needed because it's completely preventable if the right choices are made. Even with business, it's amazing how much fancy education I have in in master's and doctorate, and yet I was still hiring business coaches Uh, Every year, and I still have now a board of directors for my company that still has that learning opportunity of what have I missed? What can we do better next time? What are the opportunities to really make a difference? Because this isn't all about money. It's about passion. It's about being. It's about existence. It's about leaving the world a little better place than we left it, particularly when we're on the landscape and have the opportunity to be a leader within it. And that's the opportunity that Dr. Ivan's talking about is the importance of leadership. Because if we don't lead ourselves, even as a small business, how are we going to lead others? And it's about having the ability to enforce sight, to look at the future, to look at the future of putting the right people in the right place. Remember Jim Collins put the right person in the right seat on the bus and you'll just get out of their way and let them move forward. So I want you, hopefully, we're listening to what we we're talking about today with a very keen eye and a very keen ear to be able to look at how you're wanting to see how the future of these lessons from these amazing people can shape your business. What can you do? What did you learn? What's the one takeaway that you will have that will make that shift in your business? The biggest shift for mine was moving from a what I wanted to do in my business And do what the world needed from me in my business. And that's exactly where some of us get so stuck in that mindset. So stuck in that path. And so we're going to go back to Alice in Wonderland. We're going to go back to the Cheshire Cat. We're going to go back to that fork in the road. And we're going to ask the question, Oh, Cheshire Cat, which way do I go? And the answer is, it doesn't matter if you don't have a plan. And so what is your plan going forward? I want to make sure that we're going to help continue this conversation because there's a lot of amazing opportunities for many of our scholars. And I want you to continue this conversation with all of our social media that we have. Twitter.com doctor, backslash Dr. Cheryl lens, Facebook.com backslash Dr. Cheryl lens, And Facebook.com success through failure. You'll also have my email address where you can email me additional questions, because remember our questions for today was, have you ever thought about publishing a book? Have you ever thought about becoming a doctoral scholar? The whole goal is to be able to ask the question of what can you do that's going to shape that conversation and to be part of the impact on leadership, business, and education, be it healthcare or any other opportunity. So do send us your questions. Do send us your interests and your passions and your success stories from failure. We're going to be bearing our souls here quite a bit as the weeks continue to roll forward with all of the things I wish I would have known, things I could have, should have done, things that the good news is we were able to be flexible, adaptable, because we're still here. And 50% of businesses are out the door in the first three to five years. Dr. Ivan's been in business more than 18 years. My business just hit a 10-year anniversary. We may have done it slow. We may have done it organically. But we're still here, still offering a voice, still being about the conversation, about asking the questions. We're still about failure and failing faster so that we can succeed sooner. So I want you to think about what that means in your own life. And until we come back, until next Thursday, I appreciate you joining me and Dr. Ivan Salabarius and Dr. Ada Crosby. Until next week, my name is Dr. Cheryl Lentz. Fail faster, succeed sooner. Keep thinking your way to success. We'll see you always at this station, Thursdays, noon time, Central Standard Time. Thanks for joining me. I'm Dr. C. We appreciate it. Have a good week. We'll see you next Thursday.
0: Thank you for joining us this week for Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner with Dr. C., the academic entrepreneur. Dr. Cheryl Lentz invites you to listen again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It's time for you to find your success. We'll talk again next week.